Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, yeah. Welcome to Alpine Church. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. And speaking of Thanksgiving, let's thank the Setup and Teardown team. I mean, this place looks great. They do this every single week, so thank you guys so much. In a lot of ways, you guys have the hardest job at Alpine, so thank you for doing that week after week after week. I hope you know that it does not go unnoticed. Uh, it's great to be with you guys here in Syracuse today. I'm looking forward to digging into God's Word with you. I just want to say again, if you're here for the first time, we're excited that you're with us. We hope you feel welcome today. Uh, we hope that we're able to help you pursue God today. My name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at our Alpine Logan campus. And today we're at the halfway point of our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. I've had some great conversations with Alpiners about this series. I've had several people tell me they've really been challenged by it. I know that I have been, and I hope that you have been too. And here's that list of seven deadly sins that we've been discussing. We've got pride, envy, anger, gluttony, greed, sloth, and lust. Now, as we've shared in this series, you won't find any place in the Bible where all these sins are listed together and they're titled the seven deadly sins. But we do see warning about all of these sins throughout Scripture. And we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So all sin is deadly. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Sin is deadly. Anytime you and I choose to follow our thoughts our desires, our opinions over what God has declared to be true, that's what sin is, things do not go well for us. It leads to spiritual death, emotional death, relational death, sometimes even physical death. And I think it's important we remind ourselves of this because we live in a culture that constantly tries to minimize sin. In fact, our culture actually celebrates some of the sins that we're talking about in this series, but make no mistake, these sins are deadly. Now, we kicked off this series by talking about pride, and we looked at greed. Last week, we talked about lust, and I, I hope that you've been able to have some good conversations with your family or your mentor or your small group about these issues and some ways to have practical victory in your life over them. And today we're looking at the sin of gluttony. Now, Pastor Brian is in charge of scheduling who teaches each sermon at the various campuses. And I've obviously done something to offend him. Because I had to give the Eros Love Sermon on Valentine's Day, which is basically the sex sermon. And now I'm talking about gluttony on Thanksgiving weekend. So whatever I did, I need to apologize. But let's start with a working definition of gluttony. So according to Webster, gluttony is an unhealthy obsession over food or drink. I think gluttony is sneaky in the sense that most of us probably don't think it affects us. In fact, as we look at that definition, I would say that most of us would say, I don't have an unhealthy obsession over food or drink. But what if we looked at gluttony through a slightly different lens? What if gluttony was really just the undisciplined use of food and drink? What if gluttony was really more about not being led by the Holy Spirit when it comes to how I interact with food? Because if that's the lens that we look at it through, now all of a sudden there are a lot more things that may be gluttonous. 
For example, if you spend a significant amount of money eating out every month, but then you say you don't have the resources to be generous to God's kingdom or to others, is that gluttonous? If you have to have two to three cups of coffee every day just to get going and to avoid that caffeine headache, is that gluttonous? I know some of you are like, whoa, Pastor John, you just crossed a line. Did you really just say something negative about coffee in an alpine service? Like that's heresy almost, right? What if it's not so much about how much you eat, but about what you eat? So if your doctor has told you to avoid foods that are high in fat or high in salt because of high cholesterol or high blood pressure, but you just can't seem to control those urges, is that gluttonous? I would submit that all of those probably are gluttonous, and at the very least, they all could be. And I would also say that what is gluttonous for me might not be gluttonous for you and vice versa. But this is an area, like every other area of our lives, that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need to be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit directs us when it comes to food. And so I hope that you won't check out of today's sermon just because you don't think gluttony affects you. I hope that you'd ask the Holy Spirit to honestly reveal to you if this is an area where you need to submit some parts of your life to the Holy Spirit. And that's going to bring us into our first point for today. And that's that God gave us food for our enjoyment, but he also gave us boundaries. So I, I want to make sure that you're not hearing what I'm not saying. I am not saying it is a sin to enjoy food. I think God wants us to enjoy food. In fact, I'm going to show you some scriptures that I think flat out declare God tells us to enjoy food. It's not a sin to enjoy food. But we have to keep it in check. There have to be boundaries. See, God didn't even have to give us taste buds. Have you ever thought about that? God could have made all food taste exactly the same. I don't see anything in Scripture that says taste buds came along as a result of the fall. <laughs> right? And we know that the Garden of Eden was filled with all kinds of fruit. And think of the best peach you've ever had. The peaches in the Garden of Eden were ten times better than that. God wants us to enjoy food. He gave it to us for our enjoyment. Again, here's one of those scriptures that says that Ecclesiastes 9.7. He says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. It doesn't just say God allows this. It says God approves of this. God wants us to do this. Or Proverbs 24.13. It says, eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Did you know in the book of Leviticus, God actually commanded the nation of Israel to observe seven feasts every year? Now, there was a lot more going on than just eating in these feasts. There was a lot of prophetic significance, a lot of symbolism, but they were called feasts nonetheless. And a big part of the celebration was eating together. So food is good. And in the New Testament, the Gospels give us a picture of how Jesus interacted with food, what Jesus thought about food. In fact, we see a couple of stories I'm going to share with you. The first is when he feeds the 5,000, a story that most of you have probably heard if you grew up in the church. In Matthew 14, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I love it that it says they all ate as much as they wanted. Some translation says they all ate and were filled Jesus wasn't stingy. 
He didn't have them ration out little pieces of bread and a little bite of fish. He let them eat until they were full. And it says that they all did that. In fact, because of Jesus' tendency to eat and drink with people and enjoy food, he was actually called a glutton. The religious leaders of his day accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus said that himself in Luke chapter 7. So he's talking about himself. He says, the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Well, we know that Jesus was not a sinner. We, we know that he wasn't a glutton. He wasn't a drunkard. He never sinned. He was perfect. But he was accused of that because he often enjoyed a good meal with others. So the first part of that first point is that God wants us to enjoy food, but now here comes the second part. There are boundaries. Look at Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. It says, Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons, for they are on their way to poverty. This proverb says that gluttonous carousing is a great way to get poor. It's not a good way to manage the resources that God has given us. And there's not just the economic impact, but we know now today there's also a, a physical impact, a health impact. That, that overeating, gluttonous eating can lead to all types of issues from you know, high blood pressure to heart disease to diabetes. All these things that we struggle with, you know, it messes up your digestive system, your sleep cycle. But gluttony is not just a physical or economical issue. At the heart of it, it's really a spiritual issue. And I want to go all the way back to the very beginning, to the very first boundary that God gave us when it comes to food. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2. It says, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. I find it interesting that the very first boundary God ever gave us was related to food. Now, Adam and Eve's primary issue here was not gluttony. Their primary issue was pride. They wanted to be like God. They believed a lie that Satan told them that if they ate of the tree, they wouldn't die. But as we know, they surely did. But see, in this instance, as is usually the case with us, when we misuse food, there are spiritual consequences. And that brings us to our second point. That's that gluttony is a false pathway to comfort using food and drink to satisfy a deeper craving in all of us. And part of the struggle for us is our culture makes it so easy to slip into gluttony. One of the reasons is because we have access to so many different delicious types of food. I mean, think about it. You can go to one grocery store and get all the ingredients you need to make Chinese, Italian, Mexican, Greek, Indian dishes, whatever you want. Or even better yet, just pull out your phone and call someone and they bring it right to your door, right, through DoorDash or some other thing. Imagine if you ate the same food over and over day after day, or maybe the same two or three types of food, if we all were just surviving on corn and potatoes or potatoes and rice or rice and beans, we probably wouldn't overeat. We'd only eat until we were no longer hungry because there'd be no emotional connection to the food. Another issue is the portion sizes that we get when we go out to restaurants, right? 
I mean, one of my guilty pleasures, and it's right next door, is a Ranchero burrito from Rancheritos. I mean, they're like three pounds. It's like that big. You have to register as a deadly weapon in 11 states. Like, it's a big burrito, right? <laughs> but yet, every time I get it, I eat the whole thing. Or even worse, if I go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, I not only fall into gluttony, I defend it. <laughs> right? I got to get my money's worth. And we do things like that. We slip into gluttony. And on the surface, it may seem like this is just a physical issue or an appetite issue, but really there's some emotional and spiritual issues at the root of this. I, I, I want to talk about a quote from Graham Tomlin. If you've been following with us through this series, we've been using his book in each week of this. And here's what he says about gluttony. Food is not a neutral thing. And in some complex way, our attitudes to food are all bound up with our spiritual and emotional health. Food is not a neutral thing. So one of the ramifications of that is that the way I interact with food is either going to draw me closer to God or it's going to push me away from Him because it isn't neutral. See, so many people use food to satisfy a deeper craving. In fact, really all of these sins we've looked at are man-made ways to try and satisfy a deeper craving, but they all fall short. Because we all have this God-sized, God-shaped hole in our heart that only He can fill. Everything else is just a counterfeit substitute. And people often eat for emotional reasons they'll overeat, whether it's boredom or anxiety or depression or loneliness. They can all trigger overindulgence in food or drink. Did you know that chronic stress drives up the cortisol level in your system, which increases appetite? There are physiological things that connect our emotions to how we handle food. Have you ever wondered why they call it comfort food? Like how exactly is this pile of mashed potatoes and gravy going to comfort me? Right? Yeah, or mac and cheese. And you, and you think of the slogan just like mom used to make. Well, what if your mom was a lousy cook? But so many people use just like mom used to make because we have positive emotions tied to the meals mom made, right? They were reliable. They, they were dependable. We, we think of a time when we were cared for, when someone loved us. We think of the laughter around the dinner table. Now, I know there are exceptions to that, but for most of us, we have very positive emotions tied to the meals that mom used to make us. But that comfort that food brings is only temporary. It never lasts. And if we fall into gluttony, all of a sudden those comforting emotions are replaced with other emotions. We start to experience guilt and shame, especially if we're battling with our weight or battling with our body image or they're replaced with depression or sometimes even get replaced with anxiety if we know that we're spending too much on food. And the reality is that all of these emotions, boredom, loneliness, depression, they also have a spiritual connection. There's a spiritual root to them. And that's not anything new for our culture. That was true all the way back in Jesus' time. That's why Jesus often used the metaphors of food and hunger to address a deeper spiritual craving, a deeper spiritual need. Here's how he talks about it in John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Jesus said when you eat physical bread, you're going to be physically hungry again. 
But when you eat this spiritual bread, this bread that came down from heaven, myself, my flesh, you'll never be spiritually hungry again. Now, you still have to eat physical food, but you don't have to eat physical food to try and fill a spiritual hunger because I've already fulfilled that for you. So here's some practical examples of how I think this can play out in our life. Let's talk first about boredom. So often people overeat because they're just bored. They're either bored in their current situation or maybe even bored with life in general. They don't have any meaning. They don't have purpose. Well, how do we overcome that for the long term? We, we have a relationship and we get on mission with Jesus. We live that rich and abundant life that he said he came to give us. And I promise you that is anything but boring. Or if we overeat because of anxiety or stress, how do we deal with that in the long haul? Well, we learn to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said he came to give us that peace that passes all understanding. Anything short of him is just a counterfeit substitute. And the Bible makes the connection to these deeper issues. One example is in Ephesians chapter 5. So Paul is writing and he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, often when we overindulge in alcohol, it's because we're trying to create something that only the Holy Spirit can genuinely create in our lives. You know, we're, we're drinking to build up courage because of a situation that we have to face. Or, or we're already in a really tough situation and we drink because we want to numb the pain or it's the only way that we know how to cope with it. Or we want to experience just joy and freedom and happiness, and there's nothing wrong with that but it's a counterfeit substitute. Any of us who've ever struggled with, with overindulgence in alcohol know that it doesn't last, and, and those feelings of happiness or numbing or courage or whatever we're looking for, they get replaced with destruction and brokenness. So if gluttony is the false pathway to these emotions, what is the genuine thing? How do we experience victory in this area? Well, I think Galatians chapter 5 gives us an idea says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit produces true joy, true peace, true kindness. And, and the last one I think is so important when it comes to gluttony, self-control. I really think self-control is one of the big keys to victory when it comes to gluttony. You know, for the last couple of months, God has just been putting a verse on my heart over and over and over again, and it's Proverbs 25, 28. And it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. I want you to think about the original context of when that was written and what it meant for a city to have broken down walls. It meant that they were vulnerable. They were ripe for attack. They weren't safe. And in the same way, when you and I don't have self-control, we are ripe for attack. When it comes to gluttony, it could be those late-night cravings that we just can't seem to get over. Or maybe it's our inability to stop at one drink when we go out with our friends. But self-control is the key to having victory over gluttony. But here's where it gets kind of tricky. Because <laughs> you hear the word self-control, and what's the first thing you think? Well, that means I have to try harder. I've got to be more disciplined. I've got to do it myself. We just read that self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It's not about trying harder. It's about getting more connected. 
It's about being connected to the vine because if you're connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. In fact, Jesus promised that in John chapter 15. He said, if you remain in me, if you stay connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. You will experience self-control. So staying connected to Jesus is the key. So what does this look like practically in our lives? Well, I want to wrap up with this final point. And that's that the antidote to gluttony is both fasting and feasting, putting food in the proper place in our lives. See, food is a necessity. We can't eliminate it. We have to have it. And I think God wants us to use it for more than just survival. I think God wants us to enjoy it. And so it may seem odd to say this, but part of the answer to gluttony is feasting. We saw the provision God made in the Old Testament for feasting, but look at how heaven is described. Revelation 19.9, it says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. See, when we feast the way God intended, it leads to blessing. When we feast with this attitude of thanksgiving and recognizing God for his provision and his mercy and his goodness, there is blessing that comes from feasting. So if you ate a little too much turkey on Thursday, but you did it, thankful to God for all he's done for you, don't beat yourself up too much. Okay, that, that's not the end of the world. Now, if your brother-in-law wanted that last piece of pumpkin pie and you raced up there and took it before he did, that's a different issue. You might, need to, uh, you might need to talk to God about that. But the feasts that God has in mind don't equate to a lifestyle of indulgence. Okay, the other key part to that antidote besides feasting is fasting. Now, fasting is going without food for a specific period of time or going without a certain type of food for a specific period of time. So we can fast from all food, or maybe we can fast from meat, or we fast from chocolate, or we fast from sugar, or whatever. But fasting shows us just how much we rely on food for things other than our survival. I don't know if you guys remember, but back at the beginning of the year, we did a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. One of those spiritual disciplines is fasting. And as we went through that series, God convicted me that I did not use fasting very often at all in my spiritual walk. It wasn't part of my spiritual disciplines. And so I started talking to a couple other guys from the Logan campus, and they were feeling the same conviction. And so we committed that once a month we're going to incorporate fasting into our spiritual journey. So we've been doing that. We, we do it from Sunday night into Monday night. We fast for 24 hours, and we come together on a Monday night at the campus, and we pray together. And then we go break the fast together, have kind of a late-night meal and it's been awesome. God has, God has taught me a lot through those fasting periods. It's been great to build a relationship with those guys. And so I would just encourage you, if fasting is not part of your spiritual discipline, pray to God about how he would call you to incorporate that. Now, the, the frequency and the longevity of that, that's between you and the Lord. I don't want to make it formulaic, but I would just pray and ask for wisdom for that. Now, as you do that, I want to make sure that you know the fasting that God calls us to is not a lifestyle of constant deprivation. It isn't some form of, of biblical anorexia. God is no more pleased with you when you fast and deprive yourself than when you don't. So make sure you remember that as you're doing it. But one of the reasons fasting can help us break the power of gluttony is it just gets us out of the habit of eating. 
one of the reasons we overeat is we're just enslaved to the habit of doing it. And there are warnings in the Bible about being enslaved. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Have you ever asked yourself if you've become a slave to something that you eat or drink? I have to do that every year. Every year I take an honest look at myself and I ask if I'm addicted to heaven's nectar. You probably know it by its more common name, Mountain Dew. But I drink (laughs) a lot of Mountain Dew. And so every year, usually around Lent, I give up Mountain Dew for about a month because I want to make sure I'm not addicted to it. I want to make sure I'm not enslaved to it. So if there's anything right now that you're thinking, I couldn't go a week or two without X, I just would encourage you to pray to God, is that something that you're enslaved to? Is that an area in your life where you're battling with gluttony and then just ask God to give you the ability and the power to get rid of that? But see, if we take these two principles together, feasting and fasting, they combine to say, I love God and I love the fact that he gave us food to enjoy, but I love him even more. It gets us to the point where we recognize that food is a blessing, but the greater blessing is that we can have a relationship with our Creator. The greater blessing is that we can know Him, and He desires for us to know Him. Because Jesus is the central part of both of those sides of the puzzle. He's the central part of feasting if we do it the right way. He's the central part of fasting if we do it the right way. And when we do that, having that kind of attitude, our relationship with food actually ends up being not something that indulges the sinful nature, but something that actually brings glory to God. Have you ever thought about the fact that the way you eat and drink can actually glorify God? That's what we're told in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So you might ask yourself, well, how do I eat and drink in a way that glorifies God? Well, let me give you three suggestions. Number one, do it with thanksgiving. As you eat and drink, remember who gave you every good and perfect gift that comes from above. Be thankful to God for all that he's given you, including food and drink. Number two, I would say do it with generosity. That could be something as simple as not taking the biggest piece of pie when it's time for dessert, but let somebody else have it. Or it could be inviting someone over to have a meal with you that you know isn't as fortunate as you are. Third, do it with self-control. Allow the Holy Spirit to to lead you and guide you in this area in your life. And as you do that, you'll actually bring glory to God. So as we wrap up today, I just want to encourage you to evaluate if your eating and drinking is either excessive or undisciplined. Ask God if this is an area where you've maybe quieted the Holy Spirit a little bit. You haven't allowed Him to lead you in that area. And if you recognize that you've been trying to use food and drink to fill that God-sized hole in your heart, I just want to encourage you to turn your life over to Jesus, to take take a bite of that living bread that came down from heaven. Because when you do that, you'll no longer be spiritually hungry. If you have questions about how to do that, there will be leaders up front after the service. I'm sure they'd love to have that conversation. I'm sure they'd love to pray with you. For those of us who have already done that, my prayer is that as we leave here today, we would incorporate both feasting and fasting. We'd allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in this area of our lives and that as we enjoy God's gracious provision of good food, we'd enjoy his presence and his relationship even more. Let's pray. 
Lord God, I thank you that you are such a generous God. And I thank you, God, that, that you created food. I thank you that you created taste. I think of all the pleasure, all the enjoyment that I've had in my life from good food. And so, God, I pray that, that we would balance this concept of both feasting and fasting. And in the midst of both of those, that Jesus, you'd really be the center part of that, that as we're feasting, we, we'd be grateful, we'd be generous, we'd have self-control. And that as we're fasting, that our focus would be on you, that we'd recognize that we, we hunger for you more than anything. God, I want to lift up anyone here today who's struggling with gluttony. I think probably most of us struggle with it more than we'd like to admit. And I just pray, God, for victory. I thank you that your word says your spirit gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. And if there's anyone here, God, who has never tasted of the bread of life, maybe they're living that, that purposeless, meaningless life right now. I, I just pray, God, that, that they would allow you to come in and, and redeem them and change them. You said that you came to give us a life that is rich and abundant, and that is so true. And so we want to thank you for that, God. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.